Welcome to another edition of the NCAA Social Series Podcast. Host Andy Katz and NCAA Chief Medical Officer Brian Hainline talk with Dr. Stephanie Chu, team physician for the University of Colorado Boulder, and Andrew Baselli, current football player and finance and computer science double major at Florida State University, about the impact of COVID-19 on college athletes, and in particular, how Baselli dealt with his diagnosis and recovery from the virus. And welcome, everyone, to our NCAA social series dealing with COVID-19. I'm Andy Katz, pleased to be joined by Dr. Brian Hainline, our NCAA chief medical officer, Dr. Stephanie Chu, who is the team physician at the University of Colorado, and Andrew Baselli, an offensive lineman from Florida State, also majoring in both finance and computer science. He registered, so he is a senior, has one more year of eligibility. But most importantly for these purposes, you are now recovered from COVID-19. Your father, Tony, a former NFL uh, player as well, um, had it, then you got it. So if you can, just for not just for the three of us, but also for the audience, take us through, Andrew, how you how you figure you got it and then your entire recovery process up to this point. So my dad was the first one who get, got it in our family. He actually got it uh, in a bit like a like a business event. He went to someone was there from out of town who had it, who was sitting at his table. And so he got it at that event. And he in turn so pass it to my mother, who kind of then through her spread it to me and my brother. So my dad got tested first. Uh, once he got tested positive, obviously my mom, who spends all day with him, ended up getting tested. She came back positive, and then as symptoms came came to me and my brother, we got tested in turn. And what were your symptoms? Uh, so it was kind of different for everyone. For me, it was just uh, extreme fatigue, soreness, and uh, fever, and a little shortest of breath. My brothers were pretty similar. Uh, my mom, who was on the more mild scale, was just loss of taste, smell, and just extreme fatigue. And my dad, who was on the more extreme scale, had to, actually had to be hospitalized because shortness of breath turned into inability to breathe. Well, first off, how is everyone doing? So I'm happy to say everyone's made a full recovery. Uh, this past Saturday, my dad got his second negative test, so he's fully clear on the other side. And everyone else in my family had been symptom-free for a couple of days before that. And how are you feeling? Uh, I feel great. Been training all last week and this week, so definitely I'm in a full recovery. And before I have the doctors jump in here, um, you're a great example. Uh, I mean, I wish this didn't obviously have to happen to you, but of a young, healthy person uh, who was near someone, obviously a family member who had it, contracted it, and now has gone to the other side. But can you tell people, A, how at risk young people still can be from COVID-19? I would definitely say something that I was surprised about, just kind of the coverage of, from the media initially was this is something that really can take old people. It won't affect young people that much at all. And I found from my situation that was not the case. Uh, I spent 72 hours with a fever, with a severe fever. I felt like I got hit by a truck. And even then, I had for about a week and a half of just symptoms of just achiness, soreness, not feeling myself at all. So, Dr. Chu, um, you know, as Andrew was saying, that was the narrative at the beginning old person's disease, people with pre-existing conditions, those even younger who are compromised. Uh, how much is Andrew an example of strong young athletes or basically young adults that can certainly contract this and suffer you know, cer certainly some consequences to it? 
I mean, I think that that's um, exactly right. This uh, this virus isn't discriminatory, and I think um, we're learning that um, through the process. You know, initially, I think when it came to the United States, everybody just kept thinking it was the elderly and those that might be immune compromised in such a way. And we're kind of finding out that very healthy young individuals can get it as well. And that's why some of the extreme measures were needed to take place to kind of stop the spread, um, just because we were learning as we go um, and we're learning what the virus is um, actually capable of doing. And Dr. Hainline, uh, initially, um, whether you're hearing directly from student athletes or through intermediaries, how much were you hearing that, eh, you know, this isn't going to happen to our population. Don't worry about it. Well, we were hearing that a lot, uh, Andy. And, and, and first, I just want to uh, thank Andrew for, for coming forward and, and, and Dr. Chu also for being a member of the advisory panel and, and working with the American Medical Society for Sports Medicine. I mean, this is how we're really moving forward and understanding things. And, you know, we, we spoke with the what's called the National Student Athlete Advisory Committee leadership. And they were very concerned that a number of students and even student athletes were minimizing this disease and, and, and saying, well, you know, if I get it, it's just going to be like a cold. And, and so it kind of did two things. One is it didn't take into account that some young adults can really suffer severe complications, including death. And, and, and you know, you look at New York City, it, it, it's a large number of young people have been affected severely by this but also the social responsibility aspect of this. So even if you're younger and you don't develop severe disease, if you're not taking social responsibility, you can so easily pass this disease to someone who's more vulnerable. And I think that's what the Student Athlete Advisory Committee members were most concerned about. And, and I know that, that they're really grateful that, that someone like Andrew is, is coming forward and is a spokesperson for what's the right thing to do right now. So Andrew, how did your teammates and staff react when they heard that uh, that you had it? So initially, I had to let our head trainer know about my dad's situation before I had any symptoms or any tests on myself. So at that time, he kind of our trainer advised me to keep it kind of to just between him and myself. And then we let the coaching staff know just out of formalities. And so the second the coaching staff found out, they were extremely supportive. I think within 48 hours, almost every member of the coaching staff had reached out to me in some uh, manner just to show support if, if I need anything, things like that. And that was a huge deal. And then once I tested positive and kind of released my story and my statement, I was flooded with love for my teammates, just people, if I need anything, if I need anything, people calling to check in and so many different ways of love and support from the FSU family and especially my teammates. So that was definitely pleasantly surprised and like it definitely made that process a lot easier on the road to recovery. And, and Dr. Chu, what are you seeing on the ground at the University of Colorado, maybe even within the, the greater Pac-12, about how, the, how other student athletes are reacting uh, to sheltering in place or staying at home uh, and having to work out and, and, and monitoring you know, who they're interacting with at all to make sure that you know, they don't obviously suffer what uh, Andrew had to go through? I mean, I feel like um, a lot of our athletes, we have very few that are still on campus. So when um, campus closed, a lot of our athletes went home. So um, they are able to shelter in place at their home. We, we are able to contact them. So, um, you know, the coaching staff um, has been very um, uh, able and willing to uh, contact um, their teams. Um, 
our uh, athletic sports medicine department has been um, able to contact our teams. And even when um, our athletes get sick and they're in another part of the country, um, we're able to do these telehealth visits with them. So they, they still feel connected to their campus. Um, I feel like, uh, you know, as society kind of um, came to terms with the shelter in place and things like that, I feel like the student athlete population um, kind of realized um, what what it all meant and what was going on. And, um, and I think that a lot of them are taking it quite seriously, at least the athletes that I've spoken to. Um, personally, they are, you know, do, doing the things that they're supposed to be doing, wiping down surfaces, um, staying away from um, public as much as they can, only going to the grocery store when they need to, stuff of that nature. So last week I spoke to Creighton's Marcus Zigorowski, uh, star guard for Blue Jays, knee surgery in Massachusetts, flying back to Omaha to rehab. And it was interesting, he told me that during his time of quarantine, he's going to be across the street from the training room and will just be going there for his rehab. And, and Dr. Chu and then Dr. Hainline and then Andrew, I want, to, I want you to pick up on this. For those student athletes that are on campus, that are rehabbing from surgery, that need that kind of medical attention, start with you, Dr. Chu. How are universities handling that? Because they've got to deal with social distancing, but at the same time, they have to rehab post-surgery. So a lot of our um, rehabs, um, you know, in a normal training room, um, you just come and go as you please. Andrew, I'm sure you know this. Um, you come in, you get on a table, you sit down and wait your turn, um, and then you get your rehab, you get some exercises. Um, it's, a, it's a very communal place. Um, people are walking out, in and out all the time. Um, right now, we have um, athletic trainers, our scheduled times. Um, there are more than one, um, athletic trainer in at a time you schedule your time, you come in, um, typically it is like once an hour or so just to give enough time for cleanup, um, cleaning all surfaces and stuff when they come in and when they leave. Um, and then there are a lot of, um, things that the student athletes are um, asked to do at home. So we can, um, as a Pac-12, as the Pac-12, we have been able to supply our student athletes with rehab um, things that they might not have at home um, in care packages. So they've been mailed out. And so then they can kind of do some of their rehab, do it via video, um, so you can social distance that way to make sure you're doing it correctly. Um, and you can check in with your athletic trainer, schedule virtual meetings with them. Um, so if you don't have to come in, then then you can do a lot of it at home. Um, but they are scheduling them much further apart. It's not the communal area that it used to be. And Dr. Hainline, how are you advising universities to what Dr. Chu was saying, how to handle these rehabs that must happen during this time? Right. So one of the things, Andrew, that the advisory panel is, is working on now is, is sort of a, the principles of resocialization in sports. So, so what is that really going to entail? So, so first of all, we have to be resocializing as a society and then schools have to have to be open for business. And so what Dr. Chu is describing, I mean, that's going to be initially part of the, the new normal. It's, it's not going to be where you know, the training room is sort of a cool place to be, even though you might be injured, but you're hanging out. I've visited hundreds and 
and it's, it's sort of a social place and people compare notes and now it's going to be very regulated. It's going to have to include the, the, the infectious disease control, the distancing component. And so that's going to be part of the, the recommendations going forward. And, and so it's going to be taking infection control to a, a whole new level. And, and it, it is going to decrease some of the spontaneity, if you will, of, of you know, say, Andrew just coming in and, and, and popping in and speaking to people and, and things like that. It's going to have to be on a, on a schedule, as Dr. Chu describes. Yeah, Andrew, I don't know if there's another sport, certainly by the nature of it, more than football, where visits to the training room happen regardless of the severity. I mean, how do you view sort of that new normal of when you would have to go in, into a training room? Well, it's definitely a big change, but I mean, I know uh, certain teammates who are still in Tallahassee and they're definitely de taking a lot more precautions. And like the doctor said, it's definitely got to be regulated. Uh, so it's definitely a big change from the normal come and go, hanging out in that, that room, kind of place to see your teammates. But since there's a lot fewer people in Tallahassee, I definitely think it makes it a lot easier to regulate it and keep those social distancing practices intact. So I want to pick up on, on you know, the, the training aspect, not the, the uh, aspect of being hurt, but actually physically training to get ready for a season. Hopefully, you know, it starts on time. How do you do that in a post-COVID-19 world for someone like yourself, Andrew, who went through the disease? How, how has that changed your ability to work out even in a confined space, whether it's your house, outside your house, somewhere where you can just work out you know, with social distancing? So definitely having all gyms closed makes it very difficult to get the full college football level uh, workout that uh, you want to get accomplished. I'm lucky that I've actually – one of my good friends actually has a gym in their garage. It's kind of like a little home gym. And that, for me, has had enough. So I've been able to supplement things and figure, with the help of our coaching staff at Florida State, calling them and get supplements for certain lifts. But I've been able to pretty much take care of a full body, full workout uh, as prescribed by like, our training staff. But definitely – this disease and social distancing, at Florida State, I know for a fact, we are trying to take this time to still take advantage of it and train. So whenever we are able to come back, we have prepared ourselves for the season. Dr. Chu, how are you advising your athletes at the University of Colorado to train uh, remotely? Um, we are um, strength and conditioning staff. I'm sure Andrew knows has been you know in contact with our student athletes. So the, all of them got programs. Um, to follow. Um, we tried as best as we could to make the programs so that um, very little equipment would actually be needed. Um, and so they can try to do as much stuff as they can with what they had at home. Um, I think society's kind of doing the same way, you know, with gyms being closed. A lot of places are, you know, picking up things that they have around the house if they don't have weights and stuff. Um, but doing a lot of body weight exercises and things of that nature um, to try to maintain their fitness um, for when things are able to open up. So I think with the virtual aspect of things these days, our coaches are being able to keep in contact a lot better with our athletes. Um, and then we are being sensitive to people's um, availability of items at home. So trying to make the workout so that they are um, feasible at home is, has been uh, a priority. Dr. Hainline, you know, the three of you are in three different states, uh, New York, Colorado, uh, Florida. Um, not every state has been created equal during this process. Not every state is making sure, even though that might come from the federal government, that you should wear a mask outside. 
So how do you deal with, you know, relaying sort of a, almost a universal guideline for masks or how you should interact or behave, uh, certainly during this transition period from while we're on this shutdown to when hopefully we get to different stages of a lift happening, even if it happens at different times in different states. Yeah, and that's the, that's the really difficult part, Andy, especially when, when you look at what an NCAA athlete is. First and foremost, that individual is a student. And so how do you even get large groups of students coming from not only different parts of the country, but different parts of the world, and they can arrive on campus, and, and we believe it's the safe thing to do. And, and that actually is the determining factor for, for sports. So uh, even, even today, the, uh, the commissioners of the, the football bowl subdivisions, they, they spoke about this. And, and Bob Bowlesby from the Big 12 said, well, you, you know, you can't imagine having fall football if you don't have fall students. So, so that's really the, the, the big issue. And so as a country, we will have to be, you know, past that peak and we'll have to be at least on that two-week curve where the infection rate has gone down and, and we have to know that we're in a stable place from a medical infrastructure point of view. And, and that then we, we, we can understand, you know, who's really immune, who's not immune, and, and we should have in place rapid diagnostic testing. I mean, that's how you're going to be able to really re-socialize at, at a larger level. When this sport becomes a microcosm of that, how can you really coordinate that with a team? And, and, and so it, it's going to take a few things. And, and unfortunately, you can't just say, OK, well, you know, in New York, everything's fine. So all the students can come back because they may be coming from a part of the country that, that is still highly contagious. So it's, it's a tricky balancing act. I think it can be done. But um, and, and that's why in, internally and we're, we're working with uh, there, there are three very important groups at the NCAA, the, the Football Oversight Committee, the, the Championship Oversight Committee, or I'm sorry, the Competitive Oversight Committee, and, and then the Committee on Competitive Safeguards and Medical Aspects of Sports. They're going through all of the what-if scenarios for how do you re-engage in the summertime for the fall practice, fall competition. And, and I think there's, there, there's essentially a, a, a plan for almost every imaginable scenario. Yeah, I want to get your opinions on this, Andrew and Dr. Chu. Um, that's the baseline. We know that what Dr. Hainline was saying when the commissioners discussed this with the vice president on Wednesday, they made it clear. No students, no sports. It's not the pros. You can't have a little bubble in one city. Students have to be on campus to have student athletes on campus. So we know that. That's the baseline. For football specifically, Andrew, for your purposes, there's a lot of debate about how much time you need to get ready for a season. You're already going to be in your fifth year in college, fourth year playing. Your father was a professional. How much time do you think you need as a player, a student athlete, before you would get on the field of play in a competitive hitting situation? So I think that kind of goes back to what I mentioned earlier. Right, That's why this point right now is so important to take advantage of this time to do whatever possible it is to train to show that whenever they do give us the okay, whether it's a month or two weeks or whatever it is, so that uh, we can be ready. Our coaches have kind of told us that we really have no idea uh, really when we can be able to go back. So just to take this time to take advantage and be as prepared as possible so that uh, whenever we get the go ahead, we will be ready to go. Well, your body takes the hits. I mean, how much time do you need to absorb those kind of physical, that physical pounding before you feel like, you know what, I'm ready for the season? Uh, I mean, that's a difficult question. It's definitely speculative. I mean, I, I think – 
two weeks definitely. We uh, two weeks out of practice should should be a good minimum. All right, Doctor Chu, you you've got a lot of sports under your umbrella, um, and a lot of sports have different time frames to what we're talking about. I mean, how much do you see a difference of if the go ahead is given, whatever date that is, that one sport like football may need two to four or five weeks. Another one like cross country or soccer may only need a week. Um, how much do you think that could be a factor if, when we get that kind of a go ahead? Yeah, and as um, as a team physician and amongst the different the various groups that I work with. Um, various team physicians that I speak with, that is a very concerning thing. Um, there are uh, a, a subset of athletes that are just like Andrew and they're at home and they're they're working out and they're they're going to be ready to go for whatever is brought up to them. But then some might not be as trained and um, we're, we're concerned for injury. We don't want them to come back and come back less trained. Um, so we're working through all those different scenarios right now. Um, and figuring out the best way to make sure that we get the athletes out, um, get them out safely, and then get them trained for what they need to do for their respective sports. So as you said, we can't compare a cross-country athlete to a football athlete. Um, their preparation is going to be very different. Um, and so um, so kind of working through um, do we need to, you know, evaluate all of them before we put them on um, their field of play? Um, what kind of tests do we need to do to evaluate their fitness level and what they've been doing um, during during their time off, per se, or at home? Um, so those are all kind of factors that we have to kind of take into to place, and we're all speaking a, around different calendars. And so we have, you know, calendars set for this date, but if that date's not ready, then we'll push it back, and then we'll kind of work backwards that way. So, Dr. Hainline, I'm curious how you're handling this, this almost like whack-a-mole with all the different stories that are popping up, everyone throwing out different dates, some nothing till 21, 22, beyond, and others saying, you know what, we could go in the fall, or maybe it's mid-fall, or maybe it's winter, and you've got to deal with athletic directors, presidents, coaches, doctors, athletic trainers, certainly, most importantly, the student-athletes who are hearing all this information and they don't know when the testing is coming. They don't know when they're going to be able to at least listen to the right news here. How do you how do you get through all that noise and clear it out? Because we just don't know anything at this juncture in mid-April. Well, the 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 most important thing is 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 you wake up today and you say, I'm just going to do what I can do today, because otherwise you become so overwhelmed by all of this. Um, but you know that that's the advantage of working with 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 so many groups. So so you even take Dr. Chu as, as an example. She's on the committee on competitive safeguards. They're working through multiple scenarios, and and they're not focused just on the infectious disease aspect of things, but actually the musculoskeletal injuries. How are we going to prevent musculoskeletal injuries? So they play out the multiple scenarios. And then with our advisory group, you know, they're they're really insightful and they help us understand sort of where we are and 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 they just, you know, they they don't have a crystal ball, but they say, you know, this is where we're going to be for the next week or so and in 2 weeks we might be here and and even have that having that little bit of lead time, it allows you to start playing out those scenarios and and then of course 
you know, working with the universities and especially with the conference commissioners and, and so, you know, because they really help roll out and, and oversee all the conference championships. That's what it comes down to before we get to the national championships. They're doing all the scenario playing as well. So you have everyone really working together. I think that's what's been great about this is how people have come together. They, they realize this is important. We have to get it right. And if we don't get it right, it, it's not only going to be not good for the student athletes, but it could be a setback for society. So, so I think everyone's on the same page and truly committed. Dr. Chu, how do you think COVID-19 has ultimately changed the way you're going to approach your job and others like you for the foreseeable future? I mean, there's a, um, there's a, a component of uh, kind of keeping things clean um, you know, and not saying training rooms aren't clean and where we work aren't clean, but I guess taking extra precautions with those kind of things. Um, I don't know if changing uh, like a, the whole totality of how um, I practice medicine just because, you know, if someone comes in and they're sick, um, they're sick and, and we'll, we'll treat them appropriately for that. But then to know, um, I guess in the future, as Dr. Hainline had mentioned, um, when we start to know some of the immunity to COVID-19, that'll help us a little bit in how we're treating people. So if we know that there's a subset that are immune or um, not immune, then you know we're a little bit less concerned about um, an athlete coming in with a respiratory illness that could be COVID-19 that could spread about. So it's, um, I feel like when we actually come back into things, there is going to be a little bit of apprehension. Um, but, um, but as things get a little bit more comfortable, as more testing and as more um, things are known, I think things will get better. Andrew, I want to give you the last word. Um, as someone who saw it run through its family, from the most serious to your father, obviously at the top of that, of that of that pyramid, um, how has contracting and now recovering for you and your family, COVID-19, how has that changed your life? Uh, so for me, I would say the biggest thing that this disease left me with is the fact that, like the misconception, like I said earlier, people, young people can be impacted by this disease. And so no matter how old you are, I definitely think you should take the social responsibility to follow everything that's being advised to us because even though it may not impact you personally, it might impact someone you love or someone in your family. And that's something that I saw personally can be devastating. So just do be socially responsible for all the social distancing and we'll all get through this together. That's kind of my takeaway from this disease. Well, the best to you and your family. Uh, such great news that you're all recovered. Uh, and obviously, hopefully things will stay positive for you and everyone else down there at Florida State. Andrew, we appreciate it. Dr. Chu, thank you as well. Stay safe. And Dr. Brian Hainline, who is with me uh, every week here on our NCAA Social Series. Appreciate everyone joining us once again. This has been incredibly informational and educational. And you can go to ncaa.org slash COVID-19 for more information on the subject. <laughs>